just beautiful, isn't it? Our prayer of illumination. Nurturing God, you give life to all things and long to satisfy the needs of your children and their desire for healing and wholeness. Send your spirit upon us this day that we may hear your word, we may meet Jesus, the one in whom all our hungers are fed. Amen. Our first reading today is from First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. I'll be reading from the uh, NS, NRSV, although I practiced with the CED. <laughs> of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or not to set their hopes on the uncertain of, on the uncertain of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. 
and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with that which fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in a like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will also not come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. God of Abraham, Moses, and the prophets, your covenant binds us as siblings in faith. Help us to overcome the scandal of poverty, the fixed chasm of indifference, and to recognize you in the wounded poor. Through Jesus Christ, the builder of bridges. Amen. The best told stories are the ones that leave you wondering. This is one of many reasons why Lost, ABC's Lost from 10 plus years ago, is my favorite TV show of all time because by the end of this extraordinary six-season masterpiece, there are all these loose ends that are tied up and then there are several that are left open because the best stories leave you saying those two holy words. I wonder. Jesus is at the end of a discourse that began back in Luke 15. And it all started because the religious leaders were upset with him that he had been eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so like a great stand-up comedian, Jesus tells five stories in a row, one after the next. And this one we just heard is his closer. It is meant to leave you aghast and wondering. This five-story set began with the story of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And then we skipped over the third one, which is, of course, the most famous one of all, the parable of the lost sons, or more commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. You may recall that I preached on that story back in Lent. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the steward who changed his loyalty And now, like at the end of every good stand-up routine, the the closer that we just heard, it's, it's full of callbacks. And it's meant to jog our memory of the earlier bits in the routine. 
especially the one we skipped over, incidentally, the parable of the lost sons. See, we cannot understand Lazarus and the rich man without hearing echoes of the prodigal son. Both parables are family stories between a father and two disaffected sons where one sibling refuses to have anything to do with the other. You know, come to think of it, that almost sounds like what the religious leaders are doing with Jesus. It's, it's almost like that's what the whole point of all five of these stories is about. In the parable of the prodigal son, if you recall, ends on a cliff hanger. The the younger son who had spent his father's inheritance on lavish living, he comes home to a father who embraces him with open arms. And remember that older son? he, He didn't want anything to do with it, did he? He would not come into the party. And we're left wondering at the end of that one, will he go in or not? That's the cliffhanger. And now here we are with the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and Jesus gives us a hint about what happens to those who refuse to go into the party. The story begins that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered in sores. See, This story is a great example of the difference between the ancient world and our own. You see, in our world, we glorify uh, the wealthy and the famous, right? Almost to a godlike status. But in Jesus' day, the chasm between the rich and the poor was unbridgeable. And poverty was crushing and dehumanizing. And so to begin a story about a rich man dressed in the royal color of purple, this doesn't elicit, it, it doesn't elicit like fascination and wonder in the ears of Jesus' listeners. Instead, it would elicit suspicion. Because the Old Testament is clear about how Israelites are to treat the poor who are in their midst. They are to be unhesitatingly generous. Deuteronomy 15 says, if there is anyone among you in need, a member of your community, in any of your towns in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. See, Jesus didn't invite, didn't invent compassion and generosity for the poor. The wealthy in Israel always had an obligation under God's law to give liberally to those in need. And it wasn't considered an option that you get to. It is a command of God that you, the wealthy, must obey. And and the man in this parable was simply not obeying God's law. Right Outside his gate lay Lazarus, who incidentally is the only named character in all of Jesus' parables. This is it. Jesus names this man Lazarus. Covered in sores, he longs to receive the crumbs from the rich man's table, but instead only the dogs are there to comfort him. Sometimes we treat our dogs better than we do our poor neighbors, right? But interestingly, in this story, it's the dogs who treat the poor neighbor better than the rich man does. This name, Lazarus, it means God is my help. And so perhaps Jesus gives him this name because in the absence of help from his neighbors, God is the only one who cares about this man. 
How many people in our world die in poverty and only God cares? So Lazarus dies and he's carried to Abraham's side. The older translations say that he is brought to Abraham's bosom. I like that better. It's a way of, of saying that Lazarus is embraced by Father Abraham, just as the prodigal was embraced by his father, held in eternal love, forever free from suffering. And the rich man, Jesus says, he dies and goes to the place of the dead. Jesus uses the word Hades here. It's like the only time he uses the word Hades. And Hades was the Greek mythological term for the afterlife. And it's really important that we remember that we are in a parable here. And parables are not literal. And this is the only time, the only time in the entire New Testament where Jesus speaks about anything resembling what we have come to know as hell. And he does so in a parable. Well, why does he do so? Well, Jesus is utilizing Greek mythology to make a point about what happens to us when we try to separate ourselves from sinners in this life. And like in all of Jesus' teaching, he is inviting us to see the world differently right here and right now. What he's not doing is threatening us with a scary afterlife. Instead, he is inviting us to see how being ungenerous right here and now leaves us alone and tormented in this life. And so here we are, one man in torment, another at peace, and then there's this third person, Father Abraham. What do we know about Father Abraham? He had many sons. Had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right on. If you know that one, great. If you don't, don't worry about it doesn't matter. And so just like in the story of the parable of the lost sons, this parable is about two sons, one who is embraced by the father's love and the other who's left outside. But in this story, the rich man is pleading with Abraham, send Lazarus to come help me. That seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it? And so when we hear this rich man plea with Abraham, the parable almost sounds like a revenge fantasy, doesn't it? You know, those rich, they'll get theirs, their time is coming. But, but there's something else going on here. Do you notice how the rich man knows Lazarus' name? Yeah, it's kind of telling. He can't plead ignorance. He didn't know who Lazarus was. He knew. He knew. He just didn't care enough to help. And now the rich man needs help, and what's his first instinct? To tell Lazarus to buttle off and do for me what I never did for him, which is show compassion. He's still treating Lazarus as someone who should be at his beck and call. Even in Hades, he's barking out commands, expecting Lazarus to do his bidding. Do you, do you see the problem yet? And so Abraham refuses this request, not just once, but three times. Why would Abraham speak in this way? And after all, Jesus is the one who, who advocates unlimited forgiveness, the golden rule. Why would Abraham in this parable be so callous to the rich man? Well, notice that Abraham calls him child. 
not evil one, not foolish man, but child. Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. And so just like the father in the parable, the prodigal sons, Abraham recognizes his children. The man in Hades remains Abraham's son. That's not the issue. The issue is this uncrossable chasm. And why can't it be crossed, I wonder? There's that for those two holy words, I wonder. Well, it's because the rich man refuses to see that he is not only Abraham's son. He is also Lazarus's brother. That's the whole point of the parable that Lazarus is his brother too. And the rich man's unwillingness to see this either on earth or in Hades has created an unbridgeable chasm. And so the point of Jesus' closer is now clear. All five stories have been building up to this single point. The religious leaders resent that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. They are like the older brother who refuses to celebrate the prodigal's return. They are like the rich man who cannot see Lazarus for who he is, a beloved child of God. And so the big family table, it includes the poor and the addicted, uh, the disposable and the shamed. It includes conservatives and liberals, immigrants and Venezuelan asylum seekers, It includes the transgender and the non-binary. All colors of the spectrum, all of us siblings, equals at God's table, all worthy, all belonging, all beloved. And if we refuse to see that, and we exclude ourselves so far from love that perhaps nothing can reach us, That's what's at stake when we fail to recognize our connections one to another. It's not enough to recognize God as our Father if we do not also recognize Lazarus as our brother. That's the point. Jesus isn't threatening us about the afterlife. He's inviting us to see here and now that we are connected one to another and to live as though that is true. Now, of course, the best stories don't tie up every loose end, right? But instead cause us to say, I wonder. Abraham says that no one can cross the chasm between separation and love, even if someone rises from the dead. But I wonder, is he wrong? Because there is one who's crossed the chasm between heaven and earth, who left his father's house and went into the far country to be with us, to live and to die as one of us, to rise from the dead and bring us back to God's embrace. This one is forever inviting us to join the party. That's the invitation. Join the party with all of our siblings. This one is Christ.
And at Christ's table, we are all family.